episode number six, here we are. So um, Coach Zan here on the mic with Coach Paige, and then we have a fabulous guest today by the name of Chloe Molesky. So thank you guys all for tuning in, and we cannot wait to dive into today's topic. But in case you're new to us, we're The Habit Team. The Habit is a nutrition coaching company made for women by women. Our program is built for you with coaches who put your goals, lifestyle, and personality first. If you want to learn more more about us, head to the episode notes or go to thehabit.com. That's habit with a Y to get more information. So today we are chatting with Chloe. She is a mental performance and wellness coach. She helps her clients build that mind-to-body connection to ensure that they reach their full potential with whatever they are um, training with. So I thought it would be really, really cool to have her on the episode to specifically talk a lot about the mental um, aspect of, you know, whatever journey you're in, because we all know we struggle with that. (laughs) And she has amazing, amazing tools and tips. And so, yeah, we just wanted to bring her on and chat today. So welcome, Chloe. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Seriously, like the coolest title, mental performance and wellness coach. Like I need an upgrade to my title. (laughs) 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 So cool. I can't wait to hear more about this. Yes. Funny enough, actually, Chloe and I have never met in person. We were connected through my twin brother because did you guys go to you guys went to college together? We didn't. We actually would go to workouts no. during when COVID started. We'd meet That's at right. UCLA and do oh. workouts. And then he told me he was a college athlete. So we just started talking and uh, kind of led from there. Yeah. Awesome. He's like the network king. <laughs> and so he like texted me. He's like, you have to meet this girl, Chloe, and talk to her. And, you know, we jumped on the phone call and I fell in love with everything that she's been doing and working on. And so, yeah, I'm, we're here to share all of that with you guys today. So, Chloe, let's just go ahead and have you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, you know, who you are, what you do, you know, kind of the path that took you to where you are today. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. I'm from a really small town in New Hampshire. I grew up with three brothers, and so I was always uh, competing and trying to be a better athlete than them, had that competitive (laughs) spirit from the jump. Uh, I ended up uh, running track at Duke University, and, you know, I had all these systems in place to get in high school. I was like, I just want to get out of my hometown. I want to get to a good school. And running seemed like the easiest avenue. It's very, it's not very political. It's like you run a time, you're going to get in. There's no, like, mm-hmm. I don't need to get rides to ODP every weekend, et cetera. And, you know, when you have three siblings, that can be a struggle. So mm-hmm. um, it was a great avenue. But I, I was very disciplined, which was great. But I realize now in retrospect, like I don't think any of it was sustainable and there was no one checking the mental side of these habits that were in place. And when it comes down to it, a lot of athletes use sports movement as a coping mechanism, the same way a lot of people use food as a coping mechanism. You know, it's all it's all connected. So I ended up getting to Duke and all of these habits that I had didn't stand a chance against being surrounded by all these other athletes that have their own stuff coming in and being in that environment uh, where everyone's coming in with their own baggage, their own um, unhealthy habits sort of. And you don't realize, but being surrounded by that constantly causes a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. So I was at Duke and I got three stress fractures. I'd never gotten injured before. And my career was so underwhelming. I was so disappointed in myself. And so when I finished school, you know, I just kept running, even though I hated it at that point. 
uh, I started lifting weights, which changed everything. Uh, because, you know, it gave a different kind of connection to my body. And I had, a you know, there's so much body image and body dysmorphia and eating disorders. I was constantly surrounded by that. And, you know, people don't talk about it enough. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, this conversation brings to light that it should be talked about because, yeah, we want to help everyone that has an eating disorder. And I definitely had disordered eating when I was in school. But we should also bring to light that on those team atmospheres, it has a trickle effect. Like everyone in that locker room was affected by everyone else's eating habits. And I don't think we realize that, um, that it affects the other people on your team as well. So anyway, when I got finished with school and I started lifting and I just started trying to figure out what happened. And I, you know, I got really into strength training. I became a certified personal trainer. I got really into CrossFit, started doing competitions. And it then always came back to the mental part. I was like, okay, like this is definitely, um, this is helping like the strength and reframing all this. I'm a big runner because that was the narrative I always had to I'm a strong runner. And that's what lifting did. But I realized it was the mantra and me telling myself that that was really making the difference. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go study psychology. And I had all these aha moments because there was a lot of really, really talent, like great professors that worked with athletes, but had no background in sports. And that always was the missing link. So many athletes I talked to have so many things going on in their head and they don't really have an outlet. So I saw it as an avenue to really try and help connect the dots. You know, I know holistic is a trendy word these days and I don't, I, I don't want to just throw it around, but you know, it is all connected. And so now in my own practice, I work with athletes, youth, all the way to professional athletes, trying to connect those dots between mind, body, food, all the things. But um, I call it mental performance coaching, mental performance and wellness coach. And, you know, actually, it's funny that you mentioned the title page, because I had a really hard time. I was like, do I put performance or wellness first? And Mm. I was like, I'm going to put wellness first, because I don't think you can perform sustainably well unless you're well, unless the wellness should be first. Like you can't perform without being well, or at least not for a long period of time. So that's how wellness came first. But I call it a performance coach because I find it, it's an avenue to go deeper into, um, you know, the, the more of a therapeutic relationship. You know, a lot of, we still look at a stigma around mental health, but I think mental performance makes it sound more like a, a tool um, a superpower. So that's why I frame it that mm-hmm. way. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I love that. And you're right. I feel like not a lot of people know that college athletes struggle with these kind of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take, well, I was an athlete my whole life, but then I went to school and I stopped playing sports. And so I kind of like got, you know, perspective of both, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, per- people in college mm-hmm. and, you know, I obviously was surrounded by so many people with body image issues and eating disorders. But again, you just look at the athlete like they are like the superhero of the call co- of college. And so I think it's really interesting to get that perspective to know that you guys struggle too. Yeah. Um, if you're open to it, of course, what do you think was one of like the hardest things that you struggled with mentally in college? I think it was this, you know, it was an identity foreclosure. And I don't know, Zan, if you went through this as well, but it sounds like you were an athlete and then you got to college and you weren't an athlete anymore. Did you have any, 
was that hard to like be like, oh, I don't call myself, I don't know what sports you played, but I don't call mm-hmm. myself this anymore. Was that hard? Yeah. 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 I played soccer primarily. Yeah. I completely felt like I lost my identity. Yeah. And I know I've talked about it in prior episodes before, but, um, you know, I discovered CrossFit my senior year of college and I finally felt like an athlete again. And trust me, I know how annoying we are about CrossFit. We don't stop talking about it once we start it. But, you know, that is literally what got me so obsessed is I finally felt like I was performing again. Yes. So and that can be yeah, such a it's such a game changer. So I worked. I definitely went through identity foreclosure, which is what I call that um, in college, because I went from this superstar runner to now everyone's smarter than me, faster than me, then who am I? So I think Mm -hmm. that's actually a really important part of my journey because while it was happening, while I was injured on a stationary bike or aqua jogging in a pool and not running with my team, I had to work through a lot of things. And I was like, well, if I'm not a runner and I'm not performing, then who am I? You know, I had a lot of stationary time thinking about that. But I work with a lot of athletes now on that when they're transitioning either to the next level, like going from high school to college, college to pro, or even transitioning out of their sport. And it's a huge part of my practice to make sure that we're fostering all parts of this human being, these athletes, because that was something that was a missing link for me. I completely only thought of myself as an athlete and I wasn't paying attention to these other parts that make Chloe Chloe and I think when I talk to athletes you know there we try to talk about other things that bring them joy and that can contribute to their performance on the field or on the court as well that's so cool I find it so amazing that even being in college you're so introspective because I'm like you know, out drinking the night away and not even thinking about my mental health. And for you to like come out the other side to just have this newfound perspective at a relatively young age to be that mindful and just aware. And I'm sure some of that is instilled with being an athlete and kind of almost forced to look at that other side. Um, But would you say like it's grown more since you've been out? Like was the majority of like that um, awakening, like in college, what would you kind of say to that? Yeah, I, I don't think I had the awakening in college. Like I, I was doing similar things. I was probably drinking more than I should. And I, I didn't know how to handle, I remember the first time I got my stress fracture, it was like, how do I cope with this? I can't run. Running was my outlet. It was like this meditative thing for me. Uh, so during college, I don't think I really understood what was going on, but that's also a huge part of my why now. I was like, if I only knew then what I know now and had this insight and if I'm able to help have have athletes have this kind of insight for themselves, then that feels powerful and impactful to me. And I love that that is more of the narrative now within sports. And I mean, it's very cliche, but like seeing Michael Phelps on the TV, like talking about meditating and his struggle with mental health, I think it's amazing to see. Um, So I don't know. I just like that this is becoming like more of the norm, not even just for athletes specifically, but just talking about it in general. 100%. I mean, even with Naomi Osaka last week. Coming yes. out and, you know, oh that gosh. that's someone, an elite athlete making mental health her complete priority. And yes. I think that's a teachable moment for youth sports to just say, mm-hmm. hey, this is important. Like it, it just opens right. up a door to have that conversation and be able to talk to young athletes and see, engage how they feel, 
you know, ask open-ended questions, Uh, just ask questions. That's what I would recommend to any coach parent of a youth athlete. Cause you kind of just like put them on this pedestal of being this like superhuman or superhero and like, Oh my God, they have like the perfect body. How could they be upset about anything? Which is literally like how I used to think, which is wild. Like they have a six pack. They have to be happy. Like they're amazing (laughs) in their sport. They're cut. Like they they're smiling. Like, of course there's nothing wrong with them, but it's like now, of course, you know, being of the age Mm -hmm. that I am, like I completely understand how there's another side to all of that. Totally. I think the other side of that is, you know, any mental health professional, one of the first things they'll probably recommend is to move or to get exercise. And, you know, assuming that these athletes are obviously getting exercise, we are like, oh, well, they're doing one of the things that everyone recommends. But it's like, actually, a lot of times, this is a coping mechanism. There's a lot, a lot behind it, especially when the pressure is added on and all these other layers. Yeah. Mm hmm. I know I was going to say going off of that, even just the average person, you know, our clientele, you know, isn't necessarily athletes, but we do have a lot of women coming in who are extremely reliant on the exercise portion. Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course, like exercise can be an amazing stress relief. It is like a form of, you know, anti-anxiety, right? And it's very important to implement, but when you rely solely on it and it gets taken away from you due to an injury, what now? And I actually have had a couple of clients recently who got injured during their program with me and they flipped out. They're like, I am going to lose all my progress, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of reframing and flipping the script of being like, no, like if you focus on your nutrition, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And when they make it through that and they get that aha moment and know that they can finally like relieve some like control over the whole workout thing. Oh my God, they're just so much happier. And so it's really, really cool to like be able to find other outlets for these clients. Yeah. I mean, nutrition is a huge part of it. You're so right, Zan. And I don't, I didn't mention this, but I've worked for a health coaching school for five years. And so nutrition is a huge part of it. And, you know, a lot of people with eating disorders or disordered eating, they don't have the education around food and that's part of the reason why they have these these feelings of needing to be in control and just do what ha- has worked for them or what makes them feel comfortable and safe but once you get that education it can create this freedom right that that's like mm-hmm. oh wait i understand how my body works and i want to be nice and kind to my body with nutritional good food and you know flipping the script like you were saying zan and like how do we just use this food to honor ourselves rather than feel trapped? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so I would love to hear, you know, about some of your techniques or approaches that you take with your own clients and um, see how, you know, you, with your education and knowledge, how maybe like Paige and I can take this away <laughs> and be able to apply it to our clients. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like that you mentioned it, uh so not all your clients aren't necessarily athletes, but it's like anyone with a body is an athlete. So I actually work with um, quite a few people that, you know, they came to me at first because they were training for something and wanted that athlete mentality. But then it just works as a gateway for them to focus on some, you know, deep uh, self-reflection. And it's not a turn. It transforms from performance to more mental health oriented, which mm-hmm. I really enjoy in terms of techniques 
it really varies on especially age. So with like my younger clients, it's so much easier to just like give a mindfulness technique and they apply it. And then the next day they're like, oh, I had 26 points. It was great. And then when you get into like older clientele that are balancing school, jobs, all these other things, it gets a lot more complex because, you know, the reason they might not be able to focus is because it's a contract year or they're having a baby or whatever the reason is. So it really transforms uh, depending on the client themselves. But um, I, in terms of techniques I've shared this once before one of my favorite it's called the stoplight tool and this is a great mindfulness tool for people that don't necessarily want to like sit down and meditate and they want to like bring self-awareness throughout their day to something so a red light would be a negative thought so in terms of your clients maybe feeling bad around a certain food like oh if i eat this this is gonna turn it's gonna turn this way for me or i'm gonna be completely off track any of those negative thoughts that's a red light a green light would be this is so nourishing this is so good um in regards to sports it's like i feel so good in this rep or whatever it is and then a yellow light is something real. So recognizing that we're not our thoughts and it's focusing on your breath. It's focusing on like touching your thigh, feeling the sweat drip down your face. And what that does is it stops the spiral from these thoughts. So instead of going ruminating over this one poor food choice or whatever it was, we come back to something real. We recognize we're not our thoughts. We're not forcing ourselves to have a positive thought. We're just getting back to something real so we can get on with our day and not be consumed in this mental game. I love that. That's amazing. I never... I know. I studied psychology too, and I never even heard of that method. And that's amazing. I like the, you know, even like physiological, like kind of responses you can tune into because you're right, you know, a quick switch like that of focusing on different senses can completely eliminate any negative thoughts. So I think that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. In, in sports a lot too, it's like a mistake ritual. So instead of like ruminating, oh, I had a turnover, whatever it is, let's like clap our hands, flush the toilet, whatever we have to do to move on and be present. Let's do something real to get out of our head and move forward. Mm. Mm-hmm. And not saying it's like obviously not the same method, but um, one of the things we have our clients do on a daily basis is write down what their win is and write down what their opportunity is. And we do this because, like you said, you know, it's human nature to ruminate on something negative. If you made a poor choice, you know, you just feel like you washed your whole day away. But there's no way you can tell me you went the entire day without doing something positive. Mm -hmm. And so it forces them to really sit down and reflect and like be proud of some of the decisions they did make. And it's really impactful for a lot of them. You know, us coaches, I feel like I sometimes like forget that that's part of it. And like clients will come to us and be like, oh, my God, this was just like so amazing of an activity to do because it really brought them like out of their funk. Yes, I love that. I don't know if you ever... Have you ever had clients like that page that oh, yeah. really um, benefit from it? For sure. And I honestly think for especially my clients that I have right now, they don't even talk about anything macro related. It is 
about something that went really well in their day. They were able to spend one-on-one time with their spouse or they, you know, had a really nice bath or like had some self-care. Like I love to see those, you know, supporting elements to their day to then fuel the rest of their day. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not always just about like I was perfect in my protein number. Like, no, I don't care about that. Like, tell me something else that went really, really well. (laughs) Exactly. I know a lot of our program, um, you know, obviously we focus on the nutrition part, but we end up touching so many other areas of their life. And, you know, like you said earlier, it's a trickle effect. Mm -hmm. You know, if one thing starts to become positive in your life, it truly can you know, implement or affect so many other areas as well. 100%. I think that's such a huge misconception around nutrition coaching. It's like, oh, you think this is just what we're putting in our mouths, but it's so much more than that. It's like the thoughts surrounding what you're putting in your mouths. It's all the supporting things throughout the day, like you were saying, Paige, like it's all connected and it's all contributes to how you behave and what you eat and how what you do. So definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So besides the stoplight method, are there any other like other main methods that you use or um, how exactly do you end up like tying nutrition in with your clients? Yeah. So nutrition comes up like so I I love having the nutrition background because a lot of times there's certain foods that make people so anxiety is a huge one. And it's like, well, what are you eating? If you're eating all this processed food, let's eliminate that for a week and see how you feel. And Bringing that self-awareness, especially to youth athletes, can be so impactful because it's really setting them up for success when they do get to the next level and they do get to college or pro level and they already know these things about themselves. So um, I always just use it as a tool to add another level of insight, self-insight for themselves, you know. Uh, I would also say that, have you guys read the book Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck? No, I haven't. I don't All think around. so. So it's about like a fixed versus a growth mindset, which is similar to what you were just speaking about where like what was, um, what'd you say, your win and then what was something, where is there an opportunity? Is that what you called it? Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that reminded me of, you know, I really focus on that with my clients as well. Fixed mindset would be like, oh, I'm never going to run a sub five minute mile. A growth mindset is I haven't run a sub five minute mile yet. And she calls yet the most important word. And if we add that to our sentences, we can really reframe our entire lives because knowing that it's a process and we can get there if we put in the work, the energy, the time, instead of being like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm never going to lose weight or I'm never going to, you know, be strong, whatever it is. Now, do you take any like different approach with clients that may have like an eating disorder or disordered eating? With, I actually, truthfully, I haven't had that. Maybe it's my, I've kind of chosen to not take on too many clients in that realm because it's kind of a little close to home still. And, you know, I I recognize that I've been able to heal through my own clients. I had a big adversity to working with athletes at first because I was like, wait, I'm not, I don't want to limit myself and just work with athletes. But then I realized that was the big, that was the biggest problem. Like putting myself in a box. I'm not just an athlete. There's other aspects to me. So my athletes, they're human beings. There's all these aspects to them. I would say I have a, like, it's definitely more female athletes that have this disordered eating and you can just tell in the way they talk about things uh but i i really use the language around what what foods support you best 
And how do we change this narrative to like looking at calories and looking at food from a superficial level to that like whole food approach, which we know is just super important. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just find it, you know, honestly fascinating that professional athletes can have eating disorders because food is fuel, right? And you, it's, you know, food caters your performance. And so I just, I didn't know if like you yourself or anyone you knew specifically like ever dealt with this and like, how were they able to still perform in their sport? Well, I think what happens is it's done. It's not sustainable. Like they perform for a certain amount of time, but the things, the thing with disordered eating, it takes up so much brain energy. You're spending like mm-hmm. all this time that you could be spending on things that matter on time with your spouse or whatever it is, thinking about the food that you're eating. And that's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's like you're running marathons in your head every day. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of see that sometimes with macros, right, Paige? Like some clients can get pretty obsessive with it. And like I've, we've had clients be like, you know, I can see the benefit of your guys' program, but ever since starting, I have not stopped thinking about food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it can be really this fine line and we get that, you know, macros aren't for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but I do understand, you know, kind of how mentally draining it can be to like log and measure and weigh and always think about food. Um, So Paige, just out of curiosity, like, have you had a client like that recently? And like, what do you, you know, how do you talk her through it? Yeah, I mean, this actually just happened, I want to say about two weeks ago now. And I just kept kind of asking her because I would just notice in her check-ins that she was feeling burnt out, um, a little obsessive at times, and just nonstop um, working on a fixed mindset. And I kept asking her, you know, how can we, how can I support you? How are you feeling? Like constantly just kind of checking in with her. And then I think it was like four or five weeks in and I just said, just so you know, I don't think this is working for you. And I'm coming from a place of love, but I don't think that this way of um, working your life into macros uh, is working out. And so I'm suggesting that maybe you just take a step back, maybe, you know, reassess if this is really the direction that you want to be going in. Um, and she was so thankful that I just came to her and said, you know, I am, like I said, coming from a place of love, but I just don't think that this is a supportive lifestyle for you. And I think you'd actually operate better with intuitive eating or what have you, because she had also come from a background of dieting with every possible diet you can imagine, keto to calorie counting to low carb, you name it. She's used to operating in that mentality and therefore she treated macros as this other diet. And at the end of the day, we don't want counting macros to be another diet. I think there are foundations of a diet there, but in the long term, you see that this is actually just lifestyle. This is teaching you how to eat balanced um, and hopefully mindfully. So that was a really long answer to your question, Zan. But overall, um, yes, this is not always a fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. 
No, I love that. Like you said, you know, we're trying to get women to ditch the diet mentality and adopt this as a lifestyle. Totally. Um, so, I was go- so going off of that. Yeah. I do you yeah. mind if I, I just thought I think it's so beautiful that no. you were able to like honor that it might not be a good fit because I think a lot of coaches have such a hard time they like have this scarcity mindset and want to hang on to every client even when you know it's not the best fit or it's not going to support them best so that's really awesome that you're yeah. able to recognize that uh and it's good insight too. like this obsessive behavior sometimes if it is when it does come to macros it might not work at first because they still maybe need to heal with that obsessive oh count right. count 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 um, right mm-hmm. but then it can be that beautiful yeah. connection once they realize it's a lifestyle like this is just how we yeah. we live balanced and feel great yeah i remember having a coach um this is probably almost two years ago now. And I just at the time was like, you know what? I need someone to kind of just like whip me into shape a little bit. And I remember being on that program and every day she she had me on a macro set that I now know was way too low. And she made me feel bad about it all the time because I was coming to her working out six days a week, an hour in the gym a day, like heavy, heavy strength training. And I was coming to her being like, I am defeated. I feel like crap. I can't operate at this level. And she's like, well, like maybe this isn't for you then. Like was really unwilling to work with my needs. And I just had to keep advocating for myself. And finally I was like, I'm done. Like I'm not completing this program. And she made me feel like a failure that I wasn't completing the program. By the way, this is not habit related. This is an entirely different program, (laughs) caveat. Um, So anyways, I, uh, from experience, had worked with coaches before that were just not supportive of what I was kind of like blindly telling them. And then I just came out word and said, no, this is not working for me. So yeah. Yeah. Recognizing the individual is so important. You know, I think we overlook, Mm -hmm. people overlook that so much. Like, oh, this is going to work for you. It's never a one size fits all. We're all different. Right. And, you know, in the mental part too, even again, bringing up the Naomi Osaka situation, Mm -hmm. they asked Serena and Venus and, you know, I don't know if you heard, but like Serena's response was like, oh yeah, I have this experience too, but I deal with it different. Like we're all different. You know, my, my body's Mm -hmm. different than her body. We all, we, and so recognizing that we're all individuals, I think is really important from a coaching perspective. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Now, do you ever implement like macros or tracking their food intake or anything with your clients? Or do you more like want to focus on the intuitive eating aspect? Yeah, so I definitely do food journals depending on their goals. And again, it's just to build that insight, especially for younger athletes when they want to go to the next level and they do have some body. Like I I definitely I have a few clients, females especially, that have a little bit of disordered eating. So doing using that educational piece and I have them track for like a week, but I don't do more than that because sometimes then they get into this obsessive, but it's like, okay, let's reflect. But what I love to do most is how did you, how did you feel like the intuitive? How did you feel after mm-hmm. you ate that? Did you have energy for practice? Did you, what did that look like? Because that gives them a lot, a ton of information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like, we, I mean, 
every single client goes through this, but they always get caught up on the scale, right? How much they weigh. That's the number one progress indicator where we really try to push them to recognize non-scale victories. And some of those can be energy level. I mean, I've had, I don't know how many clients that are like, I don't have to have a cup of coffee in the afternoon anymore Mm -hmm. because I'm fueling my body and my energy is out of control. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that people recognize it that that is a victory and that is also a progress or progress in their journey. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's super important to like, you know, have them tune into their body and recognize those different factors. Yeah. Acknowledging the non-scale victories is huge. I have one of my basketball players, you know, her goal is to lose, she's a point guard and she wants to lose some weight because she's wants to get back on the court. She wants to be moving up and down the court, feeling good. She doesn't want her knees to hurt. So losing some weight is a vic is her goal. But the scale isn't going down because she's gaining muscle mass, obviously. But people are mm-hmm. commenting that she looks leaner and whatnot. So again, a non-scale okay. victory, let's acknowledge that. And she feels better running and she feels faster. So you're so right. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, the scale doesn't really show the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. We hate the damn scale. Right, Paige? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um. So earlier you kind of touched on how, and I know obviously it's very dependent on the sport um, that a person plays, but you were a huge runner, which obviously lots of cardio. And then you kind of fell in love with strength training. And I know we've talked about this so many times on other podcast episodes, but how were you able to mentally shift from cardio to strength training and really, you know, being open to seeing the benefits without like fearing that you're going to get bulky and you're not going to burn as many calories or whatever it might be? Yeah. Great question. So this is a, this is quite the journey, but I didn't mention this, but in seventh grade, I had a coach, I I ran cross country and um, actually I was in sixth grade because there was a seventh and eighth grader that were a little bit faster than me and they were skinnier than me. And I was in sixth grade. I was tiny at looking back at pictures, but my coach said, they're my, they're my thoroughbreds. You're my Clydesdale, Chloe. And he didn't mean it. He meant it because I didn't get injured at all at that time. I was the one that was like, showed up, raced every single day. It was so good. But I took that as, because the next day I remember I saw my thighs next to theirs and I noticed mine was bigger. And so like connecting the Clydesdale with my bigger thigh, like made my whole narrative of I'm a big distance runner. And it's just Mm. so crazy to think about because that's all that ran through my head up until Mm -hmm. I discovered strength training after college. So I was already going through, I already thought I was a big runner. That's all I would tell myself. And it really impacted my mental health and how I saw myself, my confidence, all the things. So when I started lifting weights, it was like, I'm not a big runner, I'm a strong runner. And saying that in my head is what changed everything. I love Mm -hmm. that. And how long do you feel like it took you to kind of like shift over to that strength training? Because I feel like I, you know, I, I have a couple of clients right now where, you know, they're doing just cardio and they've seen progress, but they want more muscle definition. I'm like, okay. And, you know, we have this conversation and I'm really trying to push them towards it. And they'll come back to me and be like, I just, if I don't breathe heavily, if my heart rate isn't up, if I don't sweat, I just feel like I didn't get a workout in. And so sometimes like I even have trouble like combating that and knowing what to say. So I was just curious, you know, like how did you work through that? And do you have any clients kind of like that as well? Yeah, I think it's really intertwined with the food. So the strength in the food is just, you can't really disconnect those two from my own experience. 
but I will say that it transformed. I, I still have this whole thing where, you know, I'm running Boston Marathon and I have a goal of, you know, doing 30 pull-ups, deadlifting 300 pounds, or running a three-hour marathon. And my whole point with this is that you can be a strong, have this muscle mass, and still run 26.2 miles sub-seven-minute pace. Because there's this narrative, especially in distance running, you as you knew, like, Zan, it's the first thing you said. Cardio, like, you, you think of these twig runners. And I felt so bad about myself because I was so much bigger. I would be running on campus, and I'd be double the size of my teammate, and it would feel so uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really trying to fight that that stereotype still. Yeah. Yeah. Go get it, girl. (laughs) Thank you. I know. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Three-hour marathon. (laughs) Honestly, I think the 30 pull-ups is going to be the hardest thing. I think I can probably do (laughs) max 12 right now. So a long ways to go. That's that's pull up there. I know. Pull-ups are one of those annoying things. If you like forget about it for a few weeks, you like automatically lose oh them. Oh my I'm gosh, like, what I know. The hell? I just like, when I was training, because obviously I got postponed because of COVID, but I just had a pull-up bar oh, and yeah. I would just like every hour go and pump up as many reps as I can every single day. Oh my gosh. Like that was the only way I knew. Amazing. Yeah. I can't even Page do your one. Face right now. <laughs> I can't even do literally half of one. So <laughs> I'm like, my jaw's on the floor. <laughs> Hey, it's one of the, it took a long time. It does yeah. too. But when women come in with like certain strength goals, oh, I'm obsessed with it because it's <laughs> finally not about weight or right. the scale or anything. It's literally like, I want to do 10 push ups. I'm like, hell yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm all for this. And so I love, love, love clients when they come to us with those kind and of things. And it's mental strength too. You know, it's like, what right. does the, the, what does that 10 push ups represent? You know, it represents I am capable as a human being. And I think that's why the strength part was a part of my own journey and why I make it a part of or incorporate it with my clients. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, do you get pushback, though, from your clients when you are trying to get them to implement more strength? Um, Truthfully, so it's interesting, right when I got into coaching I had a lot of male runners come to me because it's the opposite male runners don't want to be scrawny they want to be strong and they're like how are you running so fast for long distances but you hold all this muscle mass you know so it's so interesting to uh, all the different sides to the narrative Uh, I get pushback I don't work with that many distance runners right now but um, it's mostly football basketball players so no pushback there (laughs) (laughs) True. Very true. (laughs) Paige, do you have any clients currently right now, like kind of on the cardio train and not willing to jump on the strength train? I actually don't. It's been a, it's been a while since I've had just like pure runners. I have a ton of girls, um, especially like during COVID that we're training for 10 K's or half marathons or marathons, and we're still doing all sorts of strength. So I think that like good word is being, you know, slowly trickling through the interwebs or, um, through wonderful coaches like yourself, Chloe. Um, so yeah, I think that's just like one of those things where I I don't right now. Yeah. I'm trying to think, I don't think I do. (laughs) That's good though. Like you just said, you know, it's, it's trickling out and you know, I think, 
that is one of the benefits of social media is that you can see, you know, these women who are super strong and Mm -hmm. ripped, you know, but look beautiful at the same time. So, and I love that. (laughs) I have one more question, Chloe. You mentioned Mm -hmm. um, journaling Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's just like such a big thing right now. I try and do it every day. Um, You mentioned journaling from a food perspective. Do you have any sort of like tactics that go alongside from like a mental aspect that you instill with your clients? Yeah. So I definitely use journaling as a way for clients to, again, bring awareness. So, you know, today I had a client and he was feeling as though he doesn't have boundaries with his teammates and he's going to journal about that. Like, what does a boundary look like for that in that regard? Uh, So we can use that as a tool in that regard. I do a daily gratitude journal and I post it on my Instagram story every single morning. And, but I, I find that, you know, I was making it a habit. I was like, oh, I have to do my daily gratitude. So I am. And then it wasn't even being mindful doing it. So I think bring that enough, that in itself is awareness. Like, okay, let me switch this up and how am I going to do it? But for a long time, it was very mindful, aware, and I would do five things I'm grateful for, two ways that I want to show up for the day or that would make my day feel really, really good. And then like one mantra of and like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Now, um, what are your big plans for the future, Chloe? Like, what's next for you? Are you um, planning anything specific to, you know, add into your business or, you know, anything along those lines? Yeah, I'm actually thinking I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, I, um, I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been going back and forth for, um, you know, the past six months since I finished my master's and... I actually enjoy research and I'm just finding there's so much more I want to learn and I want to do the work and have an impact and come up with something not necessarily new, but just something impactful. And I think that comes from sitting down and doing the research. So I'm planning on applying to PhD programs because, you know, I just, I don't have kids or anything right now. So I'm like, I might as well just take Mm -hmm. advantage. I feel like I'm going to hit a ceiling with my business at some point. So why don't I set myself up? Um, But I'm going to continue to grow my business, grow with Chloe and work with athletes. But uh, I'm I'm planning on getting a PhD when I'm speaking it right now out loud on the podcast. Hold me to it. It's out there. Hold you to it. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, no, that's so awesome. And, you know, have you ever, like, considered working with people outside of athletes? Yeah. Like, kind of more of the average woman or man? Yeah, I have three clients right now that aren't athletes. And, again, they just wanted that athlete mentality perspective. Uh, So I definitely welcome um, all everyone, anyone that wants help mentally. Um, I'm open for working with them. I... I just think it's applicable across the board, you know, the mindset of showing up for yourself and uh, working on the mental side. Everyone deals with it. So I have a really niche question here and I've been wondering it the whole time. So I'm just going to ask it. So you mentioned you work with kids. Mm -hmm. Do the parents reach out to you because their child is telling them that they are struggling in a certain area or like, what does that process look like? Mm -hmm. Good question. So it's, it does make it a little bit more complicated and more work <laughs> because I'm communicating yeah. with kids and parents. 
So, right. uh, yeah, that's a whole, it's a whole other game, but, uh, it's usually parents reaching out and saying, Hey, um, I'm noticing that so-and-so is having a lot of anxiety or issues around food or confidence. Confidence mm-hmm. is usually huge. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I'd say confidence, anxiety, uh, come up the most. And do you like vet with the child? Like, Hey, are you like down to do this? Or is the, you know, yeah, like, like totally. what's the, yeah. So have a conversation with the parent, either one parent or both parents first. Then I okay. have a discovery session with the athlete and then yeah. it's kind of a vibe. And I like working with youth athletes right now too, because I still feel like kind of young enough where I can relate. Yeah. Except, you know, yeah. I said today I was talking to one of my <laughs> clients and there something happened with social media, which is again, a huge part now with youth athletes, yeah. because now they can see Ugh. competition in California that's going to their showcase in New York. And yeah, it's crazy. And it's, it's really, I'm, it's so challenging and I'm happy that I'm able to support. But anyway, he was talking yeah. about something going on, social media drama. And I was like, oh, on Instagram? And he was like, no, TikTok. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should have. Why didn't I was like mad at myself? Because I'm like, I know TikTok is the Gen Z. Like, so, but yeah. You so, missed Chloe. I know. I missed my shot. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I, I'm sorry. No, I've never been on TikTok, nor will I. And so no. if I ever had a client like that, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know what to I know, I know. It's crazy. But so, yeah, it's parents' discovery session with the athlete themselves. And then um, usually it's then after that, I just communicate with the athlete and have check-ins okay. monthly with the parents. So cool. Mm-hmm. I just had to ask. I, I, maybe yeah, if there's yeah. one person listening that wants to ask that question, too. Maybe There you go. <laughs> What's the youngest age you work with? My youngest athlete is 11. Oh, wow. Okay. Just one more random quick question. (laughs) Um, You know, since kids that young, obviously their brains are not fully developed. I mean, your frontal lobe isn't even fully developed till you're like, what, 21, 22? So when you bring in the psychology aspect, the mental aspect and the different techniques, like, do you feel like they respond well to it? Or do you feel like there's still kind of like a hindrance because, you know, they are so young? Yeah. So my sessions with uh, my younger athletes are only 20 minutes. So it's much shorter. And we're usually just focusing on one tool. And Mm -hmm. I find that really helpful. And then my sessions with my older athletes are an hour long. And, you know, it's complex. So I find mm-hmm. that I have to hyper focus and then reiterate and I follow up and text them the the highlight. Like it's a lot of messaging over and over and over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that we work with that young of people, but, yeah. you know, I actually have had a couple of clients, um, I don't know, 18, maybe mm-hmm. 18 to 20. And, you know, I do, I am hesitant at times cause I'm just like, I don't know. Obviously, you know, when you're in college, most of us gain weight and we do want to lose the weight, Mm -hmm. but sometimes, you know, to get that mental shift of a diet more to a lifestyle, I'm always, you know, hesitant on the younger age client, Mm -hmm. but I think that's, um, you know, really good point to really hyper-focus on something. And sometimes it's also just like a reframe. So when I was in sixth grade, if I had a mental performance coach, maybe they would have reframed, oh, when he said Clydesdale, he meant you were really strong and fast instead of, oh, you were really big and heavy. You know, and that right. could have changed mm-hmm. the whole narrative for the rest of my journey. Yeah. So sometimes it's yeah. just reframes. Oh, my dad didn't show up to my game. He doesn't love me. No, he had work. He'll be at your next game. This was just, you know, things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Paige, was there anything else that you wanted to ask no, or chat about I or asked take away? I weird question already. So <laughs> it's so, <laughs> so nice meeting you, Chloe, and chatting with you. What an amazing business. Good luck to you. Can't wait to follow along. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, seriously. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, before we leave, do you want to tell um, everyone where they can find you? And then, of course, in the episode notes, I will post her, her website and all of her social media links as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, www.growwithclo.com is my website. Grow with Clo is my Instagram, but it's G R O C L O. So, Grow with Clo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my Twitter. Yeah. It's all tried to streamline. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. And again, I'll post that in the episode notes so you guys can follow her. And I am super excited, like Paige said, to continue seeing what you accomplish and, you know, become a doctor Yay. one day as well, which is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> no Thank pressure you. now. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I no need pressure. this. I'm an athlete. I need the pressure. So let's go. Let's exactly. go. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, thank you again for joining us, Flo. And um, on next episode, um, Coach Paige and I were actually talking about this earlier, and we are going to recruit some of our um, Habit alums or even current clients to come and join us on an episode so that we can get kind of that client perspective. We do a ton of Instagram story takeovers, Mm -hmm. but you know, that's just for a day. And so we would love to have this like on an episode so that future clients can like refer to it in the future. So yeah, that's what we got for you. See you guys next time. Yes. Yes. See you guys soon.